Well, good morning. Welcome to Community Bible Church. We're so glad to have you all with us this morning. Let's all come on in and grab a seat as we get ready to start our worship service together. We're going to start as we have in weeks past with our first song. This morning we're going to start our service with crowning with many crowns. So if you would, let's all stand together and sing crown him with many crowns. Outside your family, without hope and without God in the world. 
But your mercy has saved us and adopted us and justified us and regenerated us. And one day you will glorify us so that we will be perfect. But until that time, Father, we confess that we struggle with sin. And in particular, the sin of failing to find our satisfaction in you and you alone. And to trust in you in times of uncertainty. Because we chase after lesser things, things and people that do not last. We find ourselves fearful because we know that they can all be lost and sudden. But when we focus on what matters, on you and the relationship you've given us, wisdom seems to you, we find stability and our fears subside. Help us to remember that our mindset should be that of the songwriter. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. So Father, we are, are here and we are approaching you because you made it possible and you've changed our desires. You caused us to believe, but we ask you to help our unbelief today and instruct us from your word on how to trust you and no one and nothing else at all times. We ask you to receive our worship and take delight in it. We ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you. Please be seated. I'd like to say welcome once again. It is good uh, to gather together with a renewed sense of gratitude for the opportunity to gather as the Lord. I'd like to especially welcome any of you who are here as our guests today. If you've never been with us this morning, we're glad you could be here, and we would like to make it very easy for you to let us know if you have any questions, to learn more about CBC, any of the things that I'm going to say here in announcements if you'd like to know more about. So we've made it easy by setting up a keyword you can text. The keyword CBC Connect to the number 97000. If you text us that, you'll get a link back. It gives you a shortcut to any of the uh, activities or things that you hear announced, as well as our connection card. And you can fill out that connection card, check the boxes for things you'd like to know more about. And there's a space if you just have a, a question that's not represented on there. You can let us know what it is, and we'll get back to you. We won't hassle you or send anybody to your house. We just want to follow up with you and uh, help you learn more about CBC. So glad you could be with us this morning. And as I do each week, I want to remind you of several things that we would like you to be aware of. And first is our weekly podcast. That's a good question. And uh, we posted a new episode yesterday at 2 p.m. as we do every Saturday, and it is our shortest episode ever. You don't want to miss this one. It's two minutes long. Uh, but no, we, we uh, titled it, I titled it um, Special Announcement. And the special announcement, I'll let the secret out here, is just that we were off for a week. I was out of town uh, on team campus. We took a week off, but we put together a special playlist of recent episodes that we want to make sure we all watch. So if you haven't caught up yet, Go ahead and watch that episode. There's a link in it to that playlist and check that out. It's all the recent episodes about the church and what God's doing in his world through the church. So please do check it out. As well, our blog, Church Matters, uh, has a new uh, article as of this Friday called We Can Handle the Truth. And it discusses the importance and the benefit of approaching history, patriotism, uh, issues in our culture from a biblical point of view. So be sure to check that out if you haven't already as well. And then there are some events that I'd like to make sure you're aware of that are coming up. Uh, the first one is actually a historical event. This past week you heard me mention Teen Camp. 
and uh, had the opportunity to travel with our youth group this week as Clay and Laney took our teens to Pentwater, Michigan. And what a wonderful week. Uh, I tell you week after week as we were announcing it coming up that teen camp is an important time for our youth group. It allows them to cultivate and build relationships that the Lord then uses throughout the rest of the year as they grow together, learning from his word and participating in, in his community of, of people together. So I want to express my gratitude uh, to the Lord for Clay and Laney and the wonderful job they're doing, the way they're using their gifts for uh, our students and our families. And uh, they did an incredible job this week, and I'm thrilled that they're serving in our, in our church this way. Um, also wanted to remind you that our community groups, our home groups that meet on the first and third Sundays are off tonight because it's not a first or third Sunday, but they do have a meeting coming up. The next meeting is on July 18th. That's next Sunday evening. And if you're not a part of a community group, these are talking about building relationships. These are important ways to get to know members in your church family in a way that you can't do just if you're here on a Sunday morning listening to the sermon. So if you'd like to know more about community groups, you can either text the word CBC Connect to 97000 or just go to our website, click on the groups and find uh, community groups. And there's a form there you can fill out to, to uh, express your interest. It doesn't obligate you to join, but someone will get back with you to tell you more about them. And then a little further out, mark your calendars. We have our next family meeting in two weeks on Sunday, July 25th. That's going to be at 1.30 in the afternoon, and it's going to be via Zoom again. Um, didn't put the little Brady Bunch graphic up there this time, but uh, we'll be on Zoom for the family meeting. The things we have to cover lend themselves to that, and it'll make it a little easier for you to attend then. And all of our members will receive a link via email as we get closer to the meeting. And then as well, I want to remind you all, as we've been uh, enjoying getting back somewhat to normal on Sunday mornings, that uh, in just three weeks, we'll get back on August 1st to our normal schedule of worship at 9.30 in the morning in Cafe Community following that with Discovering God in Sunday School at 11.15. So you have three weeks to start practicing. Set the alarm clock a little earlier, get here a half hour early, and you'll be really in good shape when we get to August 1st. And just as a reminder, any of those things, if you'd like to know more about what's coming up or check our calendar, ask questions, CBC Connect to 97,000. This is the part of our service where we uh, remember as a church family that all that we have belongs to the Lord. And as a church family here, we purpose together to set aside a portion of what God's entrusted to us to devote to the work he's doing here at CBC. And uh, if you're our guest here, as I said earlier, uh, we're glad that you're with us. We didn't ask you to come and ask you for your money. This is a reminder for those who've joined together as a church family at CBC. And while I'm saying that, I should say, if you are our guest, we do have a gift for you. Uh, if you've never uh, done before, maybe it's not your first time, but if you've never stopped by our welcome desk and let them know you're a guest, do so. And they have a, a small gift they'd like to give you as a, a way to say thank you for being with us today. But for those of us who have joined together in ministry here as members, um, there are a few ways you can give, just to remind you. You can give online at cbctrenton.com. Just click the give icon and follow the instructions. Bottom in the main menu, you can use that. And then we have some physical donation boxes. There's one next to the welcome desk, and then there's one outside by the office doors, and you can drop your gifts in there all week long. We want to turn our attention now to God's Word, and we're going to have our scripture reading this morning from Luke chapter 12. I'll begin reading at verse 15. Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. 
And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Now let's stand and worship to the Lord again together before our message from his word. Thank you. 
may be seated. Money. Now, as soon as I utter the word money, I guarantee that some of you immediately think, okay, here comes the shakedown. If you're new to our church and have been attending for several weeks, as is the case, I know, with several of you, then you may be thinking, I was wondering when it was going to happen, and here it is, because pastors always talk about money. And part of that reputation comes from some of the, frankly, despicable people on television, the so-called televangelists who are indeed always nonstop asking for money. So I then have to issue the obligatory explanations. First, uh, I am not always talking about money. The only occasions when I do is when it's in the passage or the topic in this case that we're considering or once a year in January, I give statistics for the previous year on a number of things, including our giving. So the next time that you'll hear me talk about money in all likelihood is going to be in January. And for those who do not already know this, I do not know who gives and who doesn't at our church, and therefore I do not know how much anyone gives. I don't have access to that information, and I don't ask for that information. In fact, it's our policy that our four pastors are not privy to our giving records so that we can preach and teach without any concern that we're favoring some people because they give a lot and perhaps disfavoring others because they don't. And thirdly, the truth is if you preach the Bible as we do here, you simply cannot avoid the topic of money because it's found throughout Scripture. Not only does the book of Proverbs speak often of this important topic, but the Bible as a whole does as well. One out of every six verses in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke is about material possessions. Nearly half of Jesus' parables are about possessions. Jesus spoke more about money and how to use it than he did about heaven and hell combined. 
And in the Bible, there are 2,350 verses about money. A good many of those are in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs contains numerous verses that show the superiority of following God's way, and often the thing to which God's way is compared is money, wealth. So, for example, in Proverbs 15, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great wealth with turmoil. Or again, better a meal of vegetables where there is love than a fattened calf with hatred. And then the next chapter in Proverbs, better a little righteousness than much gain with injustice. So you find a lot about it in the Bible, but talking about it still makes some of us squirm. (laughs) Partly because, if we're honest, it strikes a nerve. Some years ago, Leadership Journal illustrated this, saying, when you go to a doctor for your annual checkup, he or she will often begin to poke, prod, and press various places, all the while asking, does this hurt? How about this? If you cry out in pain, one of two things has happened. Either the doctor has pushed too hard without the right sensitivity, or more likely there's something wrong, and the doctor will say, we better do some more tests. It's not supposed to hurt there. And so it is when pastors preach on financial responsibility and some cry out in discomfort. Either the pastor has pushed too hard, or perhaps there's something wrong. In that case of something being wrong, they say, Leadership Journal, my friend, we're in need of the great physician because it's not supposed to hurt there. We're going to see what the Bible says about money today. Let's bow and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we thank you for gathering us. You are the one who oversees our circumstances so that we indeed could be here. We thank you for granting us the desire to be here, to learn of you, to sing praise to you, but now to still our hearts, focus our minds upon your word. We thank you for instructing us, and we pray that we indeed will be instructed, that we will be receptive, and we will be changed in our behavior to better please you and reflect you. We pray in the name of Jesus, amen. I've asked you to turn to Proverbs 12, and if you'll look at verse 11, those who work their land will have abundant food, but those who chase fantasies have no sense. Now, the two lines of that verse contrast two different activities and also two different aims. Those described in the first line, it says work, and those in the second, instead of working, they chase. That is, they look for get-rich-quick schemes instead of the steady discipline of working throughout their active years. Those are the two activities. And those described in the first line not only work, they work for necessities like food. Whereas those in the second line pursue or chase, it says, fantasies. And those are the two different aims. Necessities, important things, versus fantasies. Now, the word fantasies is translated in most translations as worthless things, meaning frivolous, unnecessary, not contributing to something greater. So here's one translation. He who tills his land will have plenty of bread, but he who pursues, instead of fantasies, notice, worthless things lacks sense. Now, I think we would all agree that one can pursue, one can chase after ultimately worthless, unnecessary, temporary things, 
even if they, in fact, work hard for them. That is, even though we may not be waiting to hit the lottery or for our ship to come in, we still may be working to gain money for unworthy things. Rather than basing our use of money on an eternal view, our pursuits can be more fitting for a time-bound view of life. But Jesus said this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So this morning, we're going to be challenged to use what God has given us, our money, really His money, for His worthy and eternal purposes rather than on frivolous and temporary things. Now, each week we provide an outline for the message. You should have received that on the way in. And I say, first of all, in the outline, that money talks about everything. And to see how money touches on everything, we need to remind ourselves of what money is. Actual coinage did not appear until around the 6th century B.C. Before that, purchases were made in one of two ways, either by barter or with bullion. Barter was trading something to get something else rather than purchasing it with with money. Those items traded would include livestock because animals could easily be assessed and then transported. In the Bible, one's wealth was often calculated based on the number of livestock they owned. The Bible says of Abraham, Abram had become very wealthy in livestock. And for those who possessed personal wealth in the form of livestock and other commodities, but sometimes needed to conduct transactions without having those forms of wealth with them, they'd use instead precious metals, silver, gold, and jewels. That's the bullion part. And so that verse, that same verse, says this, Abram had become very wealthy in livestock and in silver and gold. So when you read in the Bible about trading and cattle and goats and scales on which to weigh a payment in precious metals, you're reading about the same things we do today, but we do it with money. Money is a a medium. It's a means of exchange that we use for convenience. The coin and the paper notes merely represent real value. And the plastic cards we use merely represent our promise to pay later what we're purchasing now. Now, if you were with us about three months ago, when we completed the first major division of Proverbs, that's chapters 1 through 9, and we began looking at various topics, you may remember that I introduced this second section by saying this, that life is dictated by desire, by what we want. And I noted that money is so coveted because it purchases what we want. And so we can come to love money. Therefore, the Bible says, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But it's not ultimately the love of the money, the paper, right? But the love of what money can acquire. Materially, the stuff I want. Psychologically, the security I want. Socially, the status I want. Dollars are our servants that we send out to get us what we want. 
So money talks. It talks about everything. It, I say in your outline, speaks regarding what is valuable. Money represents the price that must be paid for something, how valuable it's deemed to be. And when we pay the price, or we borrow to pay the price, or wish we had the wherewithal to do either, then we're saying it's valuable to us. Money represents value that's been assigned to an item. Marketers tell us how good our life could be if we just had their products. It's what drives a consumer culture where dollars become the most important because it's by them that we get what we want. Sometimes the peer pressure of the marketplace places value on what is worth less. Things like status symbols in clothing, for example. A tag indicates how much it's worth, a logo. And it's worth more because of the status that goes with it. Now, what if, what if somebody could produce just the, the logo, just the tag, and put it on my cheaper jacket or my pullover or whatever? I could have the prestige without the higher price. Oh, wait a minute, we already do that. It's called knockoffs. And if you get a, a bargain at a secondhand place or a discount clothier, you don't tell people where you got it because that would, of course, diminish the perceived value that comes with prestige. And it's not only our clothing, but our homes become status symbols. And some of us put all the money we can afford and sometimes can't afford into keeping them that way. Cars as well. Some years ago, Kim and I were in a very wealthy community for a visit with someone who lived there. The sizes of the houses made it clear that we were way out of our income level, but the cars communicated the same. I stood outside in that neighborhood for about 15 minutes and just watched as cars went by, and nearly every car that passed by was a BMW or a Beamer to those in the know. Now, that's not by accident in a subculture like that. Money speaks to what is deemed valuable, and part of the value is being able to keep up with everybody else and having the car everybody else has. Now, there may well be other reasons to own a car like that, including that they're just made well and they last a long time. So if you own one, I'm not criticizing you personally. But if you live in a place where almost everybody is doing the same thing, it's often because it's expected as part of keeping Suppose someone living there in that wealthy neighborhood decided to step down and they bought a, a Chrysler minivan. And again, no offense to those who have Chrysler minivans. We had one for, I think, about 10 years. It was really the best vehicle we've ever owned. But it would be considered a major downgrade in that community. Just like driving the Beamer communicates something to others, so also would that downgrade communicate something to others as well, but now probably something negative, like, I wonder what happened to his business, <laughs> or what kind of trouble, I wonder, are they having? Money signifies. It signifies value for what is often actually, in the end, really worthless. But other times, it places value on something worthwhile. So money talks about everything. It speaks regarding what is valuable, and I say in your outline. It speaks regarding what is important. Money is a medium of exchange by which 
I purchased what I want. As I've said, sometimes what I want is worthy rather than worthless. It's sometimes important, not something frivolous, a home or a reliable vehicle or an education or retirement. These things are undoubtedly important, and I urge you to pursue them as they're part of prudent planning and stewardship. They're all important, but they are not most important. Because, friends, the most important things last. And the very most important things last forever, as we will see. But most of what money can buy, though it may be important, it does not last. Money spent on important but temporary things needs to be put into perspective so that we don't overstate their importance and find ourselves living for them, preoccupied by them, so that we have little or nothing left for what's better. So Proverbs says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone. For they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. The limited and temporary nature of what money purchases should give us pause about putting any more time and treasure than is necessary into even important things like houses and cars and retirement. In fact, your money itself can become worthless very quickly. The stock market crash of 1929 was, just a few years ago, a distant cautionary tale for investors until the stock market crash of 2008. And the near collapse of our entire economy shook the world. Now, thankfully, we've recovered for now. But there can be another. And it's out of our control. Your money, our money in the United States, is backed by, quote, the full faith and credit of the United States of America. Well, that's good as long as the United States of America stands and has good credit. But this past January, we were faced with the reality that coups can happen anywhere, including here, and the trillions of dollars we're borrowing from China make us vulnerable. Now, I don't say that to, to scare us because Christians need not fear. But rather, I say it to sober us to the reality that money and what it can buy is simply not where our confidence and most important investments should lie. The deceptiveness of money is that much of what it delivers is worthless, and when it's applied to what's worthwhile, it cannot ultimately deliver. Money talks about everything, about what's valuable, about what's important, and it talks to everybody. It talks about everything and it talks to everybody. The ubiquity of money in our thinking is seen in how often it's mentioned in popular culture. The then anonymous source that leaked information to Washington Post journalists Woodward and Bernstein and to help them crack the Watergate affair during the Nixon administration, he kept telling them to, quote, follow the money. The mid-90s movie Jerry Maguire made famous the phrase, show me the money. The theme song to then game show host Donald Trump's apprentice program was the OJ song for the love of money, which starts with just money, 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 five times, and then they repeat it another five times. 
those great theologians, the Eagles, said you can spend all your time making money, you can spend all your love making time. That other great theologian, Madonna, said we're living in a material world and I'm a material girl. You sometimes hear people say disparagingly of their work that they're, quote, serving the almighty dollar, or I'm just chasing the American dream, or I'm just trying to make a buck. The world's first billionaire, John D. Rockefeller, was asked how much is enough, to which he replied, just one more dollar. Even the salt of the earth character, George Bailey, and it's a wonderful life when he needed money to keep his business afloat. He asked Clarence the Angel, if he had $5,000, Clarence said, oh, we don't use money in heaven. George replies, well, it sure comes in handy down here, Bob. Money talks to everybody, as evidenced by how much we think about it. It speaks to those who already have plenty of money. Matthew 19, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Now, friends, it's impossible for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And Jesus is saying, left to himself, it's impossible for a rich man to go to heaven. Jesus is saying that left to himself, a rich man would be so enthralled with his wealth that it would keep him from God and therefore from heaven. Thankfully, God does not leave people to themselves, but in His mercy rescues us from what otherwise would control us. So the passage goes on to say, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and they asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Money speaks to those who already have it, and it beckons. And it also does the same to those who have relatively little. We commoners sometimes look on those with wealth with disdain, and we think that we would not get caught up in the materialism that they do. But our jealousy betrays us as we look longingly at what others have. We don't have it, we just covet it. That's why the Bible speaks to covetousness. In fact, it's one of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not covet. Those of us with relatively little think about what we would do for God if we were wealthy. What I would do for God if I had a million dollars. And then we think of all the worthy and eternal things we would do with it. But friends, hear this. We are always willing to give God what we do not have. Everybody's willing to give God what they don't have. But God does not evaluate our faithfulness based upon what we do not have, but rather on what we do have. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says, Give according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. So money talks, and money talks about everything, and it talks to everybody. And I say money then talks to and about you and me. The title of today's message you see at the top of the outline is Money Talks, and it talks about you, it talks about me. We've seen that the book of Proverbs in particular and the Bible in general speak often to the subject 
of our relationship to money. Now, why is that? Why does the Bible have so much material on this particular topic? Now, here's why. Because God cares about us. And he cares about the way we relate to money because it says something very important about us. The way we desire and pursue and use and misuse money indicates what we value. And what we value, hear this friends, is a matter of worship. Think of it this way. What we value is what we deem to be of worth, worthy of our investment. And some of you may recall me saying in the past that our contemporary word worship comes from an old English word, worth-ship. Worth-ship. It's a matter of worship. We worship God because we value Him above all. We worship Him, yes, when we come together to the worship service on the Lord's Day, but we worship Him every moment of every day by showing the value we assign to Him in the way that we allocate the resources that He's given to us, our treasure, but also our time and our talent as well. And that's why Jesus said, because it's a matter of worship, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve both God and money. So money speaks about you and about me. How we use it says important things about us. It speaks regarding what we value. So money beckons us to value things that are worthless, prestige, recognition, a name for ourselves. It sometimes values things that are worthwhile, but it cannot ultimately deliver the peace of mind and the security that we desire. Some of you will remember from the late 70s, the Detroit Tigers pitcher Mark the Bird Fidrich. He was great for one year, and then he uh, hurt his arm after having caught the attention of the entire nation with his excellent pitching that year and his quirky personality. He made a whopping $16,000 in his rookie year. That was the major league minimum at the time. He then signed a $200,000 contract, and his future looked promising, but it was lost when he hurt his arm the following season. He couldn't pitch again. But one of his endearing qualities was his some of you may remember his happy-go-lucky nature. He was asked a few years after he was out of baseball and back to being just the regular Joe that he'd always been, how do you feel about it? And he said he was fine, and he added this, you know, with every dollar you have, there's a problem that goes with it. So, in what will you invest? No, really, in whom will you invest your life? including God's money that's been entrusted to you. Jesus said this in his famous Sermon on the Mount. Do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we wear, or what shall we drink? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Now notice, I have highlighted there the word for. You don't chase after what's temporary and spend your time worrying about temporal things because, this is what Jesus is saying, that's what the pagans do. For, because the pagans do that and you're not one of them. 
Jesus is saying, you're a child of God. You have better things to pursue. They do that. The pagans run after these things. Don't be like that because you have a different eternal relationship with your father. He knows what you need. Moses said in Deuteronomy, in the book of Deuteronomy, their rock is not like our rock. The Bible throughout has this antithesis between light and darkness, belief and unbelief, and it should make a difference in the day-to-day -day practical ways that we live, including and perhaps especially the way we allocate our money signifying what's of most value to us. Our use of money reveals what we value, and it speaks regarding what we prioritize. The late Christian financial counselor and author Larry Burkett said, your check registry tells me what kind of person you are. He was uttering a biblical truth that we saw earlier that where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And how you spend your money shows where your treasure and therefore your heart is. In fact, stuff may be so important to us that we're willing to go into debt to get it. That's a bad idea. The Bible says it's a bad idea. In the book of Proverbs, the borrower is a slave to the lender. So a significant portion of the borrower's energies each week has to be devoted to satisfying the debt along with the massive interest charges that accrue. The borrower cannot freely use his money because the lender has a claim to it. In biblical times, it could literally bring about slavery. It's not appreciably different from the modern debtor who's working to pay off his bills. But we go to these lengths of borrowing because we think we have to have whatever it is we're going into debt for, and what we think we have to have shows what our priorities are. So friends, if you're in debt and you need to get out, we at our church here, we have a program for you, a program to, to help you that many of our people have gone through in the past. So contact us, say you would like to know more about that, we'll be happy to put you in touch with that. Our use of money reveals things about us. It shows what we value, it shows what we prioritize, and it speaks regardless of our circumstances. You see, part of money's appeal is the thing that comes after if. when we're talking to ourselves. Part of money's appeal is the thing that comes after the if when we're talking to ourselves. We think to ourselves, if only. If only I had, or if only I could, and what follows those words often involves money. But I warn you, friends, about living in your mind someplace other than where you are. Don't spend a lot of time living in your mind someplace other than where you really are. And just as a quick aside, that includes talking incessantly about how much better the weather is someplace else. I mean, really, how, how does that help you? How does that help other people who hear you? You're here. You're here until you're not. Keep talking like that, and anyway. You shan't you can and you should be content wherever you are. And the Bible says this. Philippians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. 
I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether in plenty or in want. Now, before I show you the next verse, this next verse is one that some of you have needle-pointed. You have on a displayed in your, your living room in your house somewhere. It's your life verse. You have it, you know, on the inside cover of your Bible reference. It's a great verse, but it's so often taken out of context. When it says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. But see, the everything I can do in that context, through him who gives me strength, is to be content in the circumstances in which a sovereign God has placed me. And in doing this, it requires that we hold on to stuff with a loose grip because the stuff is ephemeral. It can come and go. That's why the, the writer of Hebrews could describe people who we're going to put on the screen in just a moment, a passage from the book of Hebrews that really just blows the minds of contemporary Americans. But here's what it says. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. All right, just stop there. <laughs> you joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. Friends, these were people in the first century that we're living with a different mindset than we have in America in the 21st. We live as if we're intending to stay here. They lived with a view toward the future, that this is my temporary home. And all of this stuff doesn't last, so there are other things that are far more important. So what should we do? Well, remember what wisdom is. It's skillful living, or it's using what you've been given for the purpose for which it's been given. So ask yourself, as I ask myself, are we using his money as directed? And to do that, it means we must prioritize the eternal over the temporary. So let me give you just a couple of things, and we'll be done. Prioritize the eternal. The Lord's work, His mission, now with your money. By giving to it first before other stuff. The book of Proverbs says this, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all of your crops. Now, I'll get off this commercial fairly quickly. But it's a Bible commercial. Give of the first fruits. Do that first. Don't do other stuff and then see what you have left over. You say, what kind of goal should I have? Let me recommend a goal for you that's a biblical number. Going back to the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament, there was a thing called the tithe. that was 10%. Now, it's not commanded in the New Testament. Therefore, we don't teach it as a command in our church. But it's a good starting point for some, and it's a good goal for others. And some of us who have just grown up with that our whole lives. My dad was a pastor. I grew up with that. 
So the first time I had a job, I started doing that. You do it your, you do it your whole life. Now, others of you have come to the Lord mid, midlife. You didn't grow up with that. Your finances are tied up in other things, some of the things like we've talked about. You're, you're in the process of untying those. That's a wise thing to do. It'll take some time for that. So nobody's, we're not looking at what you give. We're not coming after you with regard to what you give or don't give. But I would recommend to you, you set that as a goal. Prioritize the eternal, the Lord's work, His mission now with your money. And secondly, do the same. Prioritize the eternal, the Lord's work after you're gone with your money by considering the Lord's mission when you pass. Now, we'll talk more about this in January, what we call our Leave a Legacy program. But the idea is simply that in your estate planning, you think about perpetuating the Lord's work so that here we can do things that are in our 10-year plan. We've got a building project in the future for our church here. We've got a counseling center. We've got a, a full internship program for aspiring seminarians that we want. All of that requires money to take the Lord's work forward. So think about after you're gone. What many of us do is we put our wills together. We give whatever we're going to have left to our children, which you should do. But we don't think about perpetuating the Lord's work. I encourage you to do that. If you're saying, well, count me out on that. I don't have anything to leave to anybody. I can relate, but there's also life insurance and you have beneficiaries for those too. We have folks who can help you with that if you're interested. So here's your take-home truth. Money talks. And it says important things about everything and everyone, including you. Let's bow before the Lord. Our Father, we thank you again for allowing us to gather in your presence, to be with your people, to open your word and to be instructed about this important issue of how we use the medium of exchange that shows what we value, and that shows the place that you and the things that you care about fit into our priorities. And so, Lord, help each of us to be willing to adjust accordingly then, so that we can please you, so that we can direct what you have entrusted to us to these noble purposes, eternal purposes of seeing people come to you, seeing them be built up in you, seeing your name glorified through the work that you have assigned to your church in this age. As a result of that, may we collectively as your church, making these decisions, each of us, in accordance with our own circumstances, may we as a collective body Bring glory to you, the very purpose for which your church exists. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand now for our closing song.
We constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of the Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you CBC family and guests for being with us. Have a great week serving.